Welcome to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast from Houston, Texas. We hope you enjoy our English pastor, John Ryan Cantu's Sunday morning message. This morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be, we're going to be in Esther, the book of Esther. And I want, I want to direct this message um, really towards anyone who's, who's, who's maybe feeling like God has just kind of been absent lately in, in their lives. Maybe, maybe you've been praying um, and I've, I've been there several times in my life. There's been periods of my life where I'm, I'm questioning God's presence. Like, God, are you even, are you, do you even see what I'm going through right now? Do, because I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and nothing is changing, right? Have you ever felt that way? We feel, I, I feel that way constantly when I'm going through a moment of, of desperation. And, and I'm, I wonder if God's even recognizing, like, his, his child's suffering. Because what God allows to happen in our lives sometimes, it doesn't look like something that God would normally allow. And so the title of my message is actually What God Allows. Um, it's, it's crazy what God, our, our all-loving God, would allow to happen in our lives sometimes. God causes things to happen that aren't good. Did you know that? Did you know that God causes, thump, or he allows things to happen that aren't good? Things that we might even recognize as evil, Right? Maybe that's, maybe that's why the Bible says in, in Isaiah, I, cre- I, the Lord your God, create calamity, he says. Some, some Bible versions say, I create evil. And, and that shocks us because that's not the message that we preach. We preach a, a loving Jesus Christ, the Savior who, who, who came and he died for all of humanity. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the message that we preach. So when we see things like this, it's like, God, what, what are you doing? We're shocked that God would put us through certain things, um, even evil, to come into our lives. But look, here's the hope. There's always hope, right? The hope is that it doesn't mean that what God is doing is, is evil. It doesn't mean that God's plan isn't good. See, God might be working on, on something in your life, but the pieces that he's using to puzzle it all together, the pieces might hurt a little bit because, because he's trying to fit something in, something that is, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable. So the, the, the end product, I promise, is going to be good because that's what God does. He works all things together for the good of those who, who love him. But the pieces, the individual parts, sometimes they hurt. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're in a weird place that God just doesn't, it doesn't look like a place that God would normally involve himself in. Maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's some form of oppression, something that you're just dealing with. And God, all the while, is just looking down and he's watching it happen. And I'll admit that it's kind of heartbreaking, right? It's heartbreaking. We don't understand how a good God can allow his children to suffer, go through bad things, but his plan is good. And... I think that we really have to pay attention, church, to these situations when we're in them because so many times we're praying against something that God himself is causing. <laughs> Did you get that? We have to recognize, we have to be discerning as children of God what God is allowing us to go through because sometimes we're going through situations and we're, we're rebuking it because we think it's a devil. <laughs> this is evil. This is wrong. This is not the hand of God, but it's God himself that is causing it. It's like we're praying against God. We have to discern when God is involved in our lives so that we can say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're doing it. It hurts, to be honest, but, but I know that you're doing something. And that's what we find with this Jewish man named Mordecai. 
in the book of Esther. That's where we're going to be today. Esther is, it's a really, it's an amazing book because it's, it's one of only two books in all the Hebrew scriptures that don't mention the name God. The word God is not in Esther at all. He's literally absent in Esther. And of course, this has caused some debate amongst Bible scholars. Like, should, should Esther have even been canonized? Does it belong in the Bible? Because it, it doesn't even make mention of God. But, but I would say that just because it doesn't mention God, it doesn't mean that God isn't working in the book of Esther. Just like you can look up and you're not going to see God's face, but you can look down and see the handprints that God has placed on all of your things, that all your situations, you can see the workings of God, even though you might not be able to see him visibly. God is very much present, even though it doesn't look like it at first. Um, and just to kind of give some background, because I, I wish we could go through the whole, the whole book of Esther. It's, it's an incredible book. Um, but this takes place sometimes af- sometime after the, uh, the Jewish people were allowed to return to, to Jerusalem by the, by the decree of Cyrus. Um, so these, these particular Jews in Esther, um, they're the ones that decided not to return back to their country. They're the ones that decided not, they, they, they stayed put, or at least their parents did, their, their, their grandparents did. So they're considered foreigners in this land, even though that's where they grew up. And if you're familiar with the story, King Xerxes, he finds, he sets out to find a suitable queen who will please him because Queen Vashti um, dishonors him. So he, he kind of casts her out and he sends out for 400 women who will enter what many children's Bibles uh, we'll refer to as a beauty contest, but um, it, it's not a beauty contest. It is legalized sex trafficking sanctioned by the king uh, for, for his own benefit. That's, that's what it is. It would be really weird if your children's Bible said that, um, but that's, that's what it was. And so Esther finds herself among this group of women who will all have a turn to sleep with the king to see if, if she pleases him enough. And if she doesn't, well, then she'll be kept as property for whenever the king pleases, or she will become the next queen. And she's an orphan. Her, her parents, they're not around. The closest thing that she has is, is her cousin Mordecai. She's probably had a rough life, and now she's either going to be kept as the king's sexual property or become the queen of a wicked king. If you found yourself in Esther's position, would you not question where God was? What, would you not look at yourself and say, God, I don't deserve this. As a child of God, how are you allowing such evil to come in my life? And you'd be crying out to God day after day after day after day and question his presence and nothing is being done. What are you doing, God? Why are you allowing such wicked to come upon your child? Maybe that's what you're asking. Maybe that's what you've been asking. And in the story, Mordecai, he... Uh, he sticks around. He decides he wants to kind of hang out by the palace every day to be able to have some access to Esther. Uh, nobody knows that she's, she's a Jewish woman. They keep that a secret. And Esther is chosen to become queen. Um, the Bible says that, that she was very beautiful and, and she won favor with, with the king. And one day, Mordecai hears a plot from the king's chief official, Haman, and he wants to kill every single Jewish person in the land. He wants to just obliterate them. And that's where we pick up with this story. Uh, he hears this, this plot to kill the Jews, and he sends a message to Esther uh, to have her talk to the king to stop that from happening. And so Esther 4, 8 through 17, if you have your Bibles, Esther 4, 8 through 17, 
I'm reading from the, the contemporary English version today. You can change it up a little bit. If you have it, you can say amen. All right. It says Mordecai gave Hattach a, comp- uh, a copy of the orders for the murder of the Jews and told him that these had been read in Susa. He said, show this to Esther and explain what it means. Ask her to go to the king and beg to have pity on her people, the Jews. Hattach went back to Esther and told her what Mordecai had said. And she answered, tell Mordecai, there is a law about going to see the king and all his officials and all his people know about this law. Anyone who goes in to see the king without being invited by him will be put to death. The only way that anyone can be saved is for the king to hold out his gold scepter to that person. And it's been 30 days since he has asked for me. Verse 12, when Mordecai was told what Esther had said, he sent back this reply. Don't think that you will escape being killed with the rest of the Jews just because you are living in the king's palace. If you don't speak up now, we will somehow get help, but you and your family will be killed. It could be that you were made queen for a time like this. That's our key verse. And then verse 15 says, Esther sent a message to Mordecai saying, Bring together all the Jews in Susa and tell them to go without eating for my sake. Don't eat, don't drink for three days and nights. My servant girls and I will do the same. And then I will go to see the king, even if it means I must die. Amen. There's a, there's a saying that, that everyone's probably, probably pretty familiar with that says, uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. Right? Probably familiar with that. And the idea behind that is that there's like this certain threshold of desperation that once you pass it, you're no longer playing by the same rules that you were playing by when you were behind that line. So, for example, if you need twenty, thirty thousand dollars um, for a down payment on a house and you don't have it, you're not so desperate that you're going to go and ask your friends for that money, right? But on the other side of that line of desperation, if you need twenty or $30,000 so that your child can have an operation that they need to save their life, you're going to ask anyone you can for that money. That's, that's the difference. That's the difference. And see, sometimes God deliberately pushes us over that line of desperation. And we become so desperate, so desperate that we make foolish decisions because we don't know what else to do. And, and, and we think that we have to act fast and we have to do it now and, and we don't have enough time to think or process anything. So we make some, some unwise decisions. Did you know that it didn't have to be that way? That you can be desperate and still make wise decisions. But many times we want the easiest one. We want the quickest one. Right. And we make unwise decisions. If you if you think about King David. When he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant with with his child. What did he do? He said, man, what am I, what am, how am I going to get myself out of this sin? Right? And so he makes an unwise decision uh, to murder Bathsheba's husband. That was an unwise decision. But just because we're desperate, church, doesn't mean that God isn't watching what our next move is going to be. You know, one of the things that a lot, a lot of Christians like to say, and it's a nice sentiment, you know, um, but especially when we see people in, in, in a moment that they're going through some hardship, we say, hey, it's okay. Just call out to God and he's going to rescue you. We, we, we say that, right? It's like, what else do you say? What, I mean, if you, if you recall me when I first became a pastor and people tell me their problems, I'd, I didn't know how to say anything. So I would just say, man, that, that sucks, bro. Right? That, that was my way of, of comforting people, right? <laughs> that's, just, that's just how I, I do it. And, and, and I, don't, I also don't know if God is going to rescue you from your situation. But it's something that we, we say. 
But that's not always the case because sometimes God is going to let you go through that fire. And you're over here saying, God, I don't, want to, I, I, I don't want it to happen. Stop it from happening. I don't want to go through it. And he's going to ignore you because his plan for you is to go through the fire. And then, and then when he does answer you, when he does respond, he's not always the quickest responder, right? Can we just be honest? We're going to raise a little bit of a complaint with God. That's okay because King David did it so many times. But God, he, he's, he's a little slow sometimes, right? Like, like you know, sometimes he, he's the last one to ri- arrive on the scene. Your friends are there first. Your family is there first. The doctor shows up first. The police show up. If the cops are showing up before God, you know, you know he's moving slow, right? And, and, and sometimes he's just the last one to arrive on the scene after you've already done cried all the tears, after you've already sought all the advice from your friends and your family and, and your doctor, and, and, and you've had so much time to, to think things through. And because he hasn't show up and we're so desperate, what do we do? We make foolish decisions. We listen to everyone else before we even console with God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because if you are a child of God, I believe we have children of God here this morning, right? If you are a child of God, that means that you were created in the image of God. And God is an all-wise God that you have a little bit of wisdom in you. You have a glimpse of God living in you that allows you to make wise decisions even when he's not readily available. Because you were created in the image of God. And I noticed something. I noticed something here. Something that Esther does, some, something very wise. What, is she, what does she do? She first receives advice from her family, Mordecai, and thank God it turned out to be good advice. Sometimes your, man, your uncles and your cousins are giving you some terrible advice, right? Mordecai gives some good advice here. And, but, but, but before she did it, before she went forward with his advice, she does something. Before doing anything, that might be a foolish decision because she doesn't want to mess anything up. And even though she's in a moment of desperation, she wants to tread lightly. So what does she do? She calls a three-day fast among her people and herself. She calls a fast. Who is she fasting to? Probably the God of her people, right? See, just because the name God isn't in, the, isn't in Esther doesn't mean that he's not. And I love what she says. She tells Mordecai, it's verse 16, go gather all the Jews to be found in Zusa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not drink, do not eat for three days. And I and my young woman will do the same. And then, I love that word. Someone say, and then, then. not before, not, 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 you don't have to repeat anymore. (laughs) Not before, not, not after. No, no, after. <laughs> not before, not during, after. And then, after the fast, then I will go to the king. Then I will go forward with your plan. She says, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know what happens when you fast, guys? You know what happens when you Fasting is meant to, to bring about so many amazing divine things. It, it's meant to bring about revelation from God, answers that you're seeking, some guidance. That's what it's meant for. The church in Antioch, that's what they did. They, they fasted and they prayed, and then the Holy Spirit revealed to them to choose Saul and Barnabas as their apostles. The apostles, they prayed and fasting uh, when they were trying to, to, to find the elders to govern certain churches. That's what they did. 
Because God, he responds to fasting. It's like it's a way of seeking God that is unlike any other way. You might even say that it's a form of spiritual desperation. Because you're closing off yourself to the things of the flesh. And you're saying, God, look at what I'm doing to myself to get to you. It's like you're, it's like you're wooing God, right? You're trying to get God's attention. You're trying to stand out. Because everyone's got prayers. Everyone's, everyone can say, God, help me. Everyone can say, Lord, bless me. But how many are desperate enough to say, man, I'm going to sacrifice my own needs, my own way of living to seek you and find you. That's what fasting does. Fasting needs to be a part of our routine, man. It, it, it really does. Not, not just at the beginning of the year, but, but when you're really wanting to get up, up close and personal with God, fast. Fast. Esther is in a desperate moment in her life. She chooses to fast. She says, okay, I, Mordecai, your, your, your idea is good. But, but let's really seek God's hand in this first. Let's, let's see if, if God really is going to be involved in our plan. Because if he's not, I don't want to do it. I could lose my life. So let's seek the hand of God and we can find the will of God. I believe that if David would have chose to fast after, after finding out the news that Bathsheba was pregnant, then, then a different result would have came about, right? He probably wouldn't have killed uh, Uriah. He probably would have made some type of recompense. He, he might have uh, uh, confessed his sin and repented and, and made some type of amends. But no, before even thinking about it, he does what's more convenient for him. Esther's like, I'm, we're, we're going to slow things down a little bit and we're going to fast. God is going to allow you, church, to go through some things, things that are going to make you desperate, things that are going to make you so anxious. But how will you handle that desperation? She says, let's fast. And then I'll go forward with the plan. Now, we also got to give some praise to, to Mordecai as well, because Mordecai is the one that recognized an opportunity even when Esther didn't. You know, in the business, like in, in the investment world, uh, the word opportunity is, is replaced a lot. Uh, rather than saying investment, it's, it's like a, a euphemism most of the time, right? But, but we, we like to say opportunity. It just sounds, it sounds more politically correct. <laughs> Remember a few, a few months ago, we, uh, I approached, we, uh, we approached uh, someone to, to be an investor in, in, in like a big chunk of a, a property we were trying to, to, uh, to present to him. We took him out to breakfast, and I was like, bro, I have this great opportunity for you. I, I never said the word investment. This is a great opportunity, I told him. Pray, praise God, man. We're finally selling that house. It's already on a contract. Let's pray and fast that it closes. <laughs> but Mordecai, he recognizes an opportunity. When Esther was hesitant to move forward with, with the plan, Mordecai tells her, who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You, you got to tell yourself that sometimes. Maybe I'm being put in this situation because God has a plan. Maybe God had a plan from the beginning. Maybe God knew the heart of Haman and, and how he was going to plot to kill all the Jews. Maybe God knew that if he just allowed Esther to be among the 400 sex slaves, something good would come about it. 
See, the pieces aren't always that, that, that good looking sometimes. They hurt. They're ugly. We don't want any part of it. But when, when God begins to construct the whole, man, it starts looking like a masterpiece, man. Maybe God knew what would come about if he just placed you through the fire. And I don't know what you're going through this morning, church, but man, maybe God knows that the deep water that you're in is going to lead to some type of restitution. Maybe he knows that that tragic death that happened in your family is going uh, to result in a family member's salvation. Maybe that job that you were let go of is only going to lead you to the next blessing. We don't know. We got to praise God. When we go through the fire, that's why Paul says, that's why James says, in your sufferings rejoice because God is doing something. You might not understand it. You might not see it, but he is doing something good because of you, because he loves you and he has a plan for you and he wants the best for you, but you have to see it. You got to see the opportunity, man. That would be, I would love for that just to kind of be like a cultural thing here at our church. See the opportunity. When you, when you see your brother or your sister going through something, you tell them, hey, see the opportunity. Might, might be a little insensitive sometimes, though. Your grandma dies. Hey, see the opportunity. <laughs> it's not what you want to hear, right? But we need to adopt this inner culture within ourselves, church. To recognize the opportunity for God to show his glory and his goodness in the midst of our evil. We have, to, we have to know it so that when we're going through something, we can tell ourselves, see the opportunity. See the opportunity. Husbands, tell that to your wives, man. When they're having a bad day at work, when they come home and, and, and they're just ripped apart, tell them, hey, see the opportunity. There is an opportunity there. We might not know what it is, but we're going to have to find it. Wives, do the same thing for your husband. Do it for your children. When they don't know why they're going through something that God is allowing them to go through, tell them, see the opportunity. There is something here. We just need to find it. And if you can't find it, if, if you can't find it, seek for it. Search for it. Fast. That's right. That's what we're talking about. Fasting, it, it, it does something like, like, nothing, like nothing else does. Like prayer won't even do sometimes because fasting is a, is a completely next step. Something that so many people just abandon because like, oh, I'm hungry, right? But, but I'm going to seek God, so I'm going to put myself less because I'm lower. And maybe I'm going to find some answers. I love, man, I love this story of Esther, man. I think next next year we're gonna have to do a whole series on on the book if you don't know if you don't know the story read it it's entertaining it's like it's a page turner and i want to close up this morning again maybe you're here and and you're going through something you have a desperate moment and maybe it's not life-threatening but you're desperate for something god wants you to look for the opportunity church he wants you to recognize that that he is still god and he is doing something. I, I know that it's hard to pray and pray and pray and, and see nothing. And maybe it feels like God is silent in your life. I, want, I just want to be real, man, because, man, I've, I've, I've prayed on these steps so many times. And I felt like God wasn't even listening to me. And I've, 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 I've prayed and I've sought God and I've asked him the same thing over and over and over and it's not like I'm asking for something. I'm asking for, for him to talk to me. 
right? It's not like I'm, I'm, I'm searching for a yes. I'm searching for a yes or a no. If it's no, cool, just let me know. And sometimes I feel like he's silent. But man, something that just blew my mind the other day when I thought this, when I, when I remembered, and I, and I want to kind of just relay it to you. The last time that God was silent, God was silent for 400 years, and then Jesus stepped onto the scene. Oh, who else is in here? I'll preach too. 400 years of silence. God wasn't speaking to anyone through prophets, through teachers, through priests. He was silent. And then the very next thing, we get Jesus, the Savior of the world. Could it be, church, that God is being silent in your life because he is working on the next big thing? Could it be that he, that he is not, he, he's trying to get in the zone because he's trying to work on something for you? And you're like, God, 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 give me attention. God, 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 hold on. I'm working on something for you. Man, when, 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 I, when I'm working on something, whether it be like a new song or something that I'm writing, something that I love to do, I get in the zone, man. And I don't talk to anyone. I don't even know where my phone is. Like, I go dark from social media, right? And, and you're, you're probably the same way. If you go in your garage, if you're working on something, my dad used to do it all the time. He would go in and, and we'd be like, where's, where's dad? What is he doing? Where is he at? The next time we see him, he's like built a whole new room in the house. (laughs) Maybe God feels absent because he's working on something for you. And, and, And what you see as a curse, God sees as your next blessing. The woman that had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She saw an opportunity when she heard that Jesus was coming. And that was all, that's all she had was just an opportunity. And she goes outside and, and she runs the risk of, of being seen. Because in those days, if you, if you have this, this disease, I mean, you're, you're, you're an outcast. You shouldn't be around people. So she's running the risk of being seen and humiliated and outcasted again. But she, but she sees the opportunity. She's got to take it. And even, she says, even if I can't get his attention, if if I just touch him, if I just touch the hem of his garment, something is going to happen. See the opportunity. The men who brought their paralytic friend to Jesus. You remember that story? They go outside. They think that they're going to get a healing. But the crowd to get to Jesus is so dense. They can't get through. They can't get through. How, How do we do it? How can we do this? Oh, look, there's a tiny hole up there in that roof. There's my opportunity. It might not be the most easiest opportunity. It might, might require some work. But the word of God said that he's not going to ever test you so much to where you can't find a way. It might be a tiny little hole, but you got to search for it. You got to find it. There is an opportunity in the midst of your desperation, but you have to look for it. You can't give up. Find your opportunity in whatever it is that God is allowing to go on in your life. Find it. It is there. I promise you, church. And when you can't find it, seek him. Seek his will. Seek his presence. Seek his provision. 
I'm going to ask that we stand this morning. And I want, I, want us, I want us to come forward this morning. And I just want us to seek God together if we can do that. And if you're in need of prayer, I'm going to ask that you, you step forward here. And we're going to, we're, I, I want to pray for you. Um, but I want, to, I, want to have a, I want to have a time in the presence of God just as a church seeking him. Because I know that there is something in your life that maybe you haven't found an answer to. Maybe you haven't found a, a, a solution for seek it here at the altar. Can we do that as, as a worship, uh, worship team saying something this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, my God. Let us find you, my God. Your word says, seek and we shall find. Seek and we shall find. I think we've diluted that term seek, my God. I don't think we really know what it means. When we seek you, my God, we there's a search party going out, my God, for your will. When you seek God, you have to you have to go into the darkest places that you wouldn't that you don't normally go to because it's a little scary and a little uncomfortable, but you got you got to look there because your blessing might be there. You might not want to go through the fire because you're going to get burned, but your blessing might be right there in the midst of it. That's what it means to seek. That's what it means to seek, church. Hallelujah. Let us seek you this morning, God. Thanks for tuning in to Primera Iglesia's weekly podcast. Join Pastor John Ryan Cantu every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For directions or more information, visit us at primeraiglesia.org. We'll see you next time and hope you have a blessed week.